Today we're going to be talking about unity and practical work. And before we get into the, the practical applications of, of the work that we can be doing for the Lord, um, we need to do a little bit of review, just as a preamble. How does the world view Seventh-day Adventists? Seventh-day Adventists are to be represented to the world by the advanced principles of health reform which God has given us. Now we know that the world presently does not recognize us as that and we need to be thinking about what can we be doing so that we get to the situation where the world does recognize us by our advanced health principles that we are supplying the world with. What then is the example that we are to set to the world? We are to do the same work that the great medical missionary undertook on our behalf and that we know is doing Christ's work. If they, referring to the people of the world, see that we are intelligent in regard to health, they would be more ready to believe that we are sound in Bible doctrines. Isn't that amazing? You know, we, we always, many of us struggle with how can we present the gospel to the world because we know the world has this wall and they, they don't want to hear that they need the Lord. And yet we're told that if we present sound health doctrines, they'll be open to hearing Bible doctrines from us. What is the gospel in illustration? Anybody remember? Medical missionary work. How do you practice the gospel? Medical missionary work. What line of work is to shine the brightest? Medical missionary work. How does God reach hearts? Medical missionary work. What is the best way to reveal Christ? Medical missionary work. And what's the most noble work that we as God's people can engage in? Medical missionary work. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in any ministerial lines but the medical missionary work. This was written in 1901. If it was soon in 1901 that soon the only work we could do is medical missionary work, what is soon today, 107 years later? Is it sooner? I would think it's a lot sooner. But the question is, where do we start? How do we go about presenting this message in a way that's practical for the world that will draw them into Christ so they'll want to hear the gospel. None of us are to strike out alone. We are to link up with our brethren and pull together and God will give us influence and self-control. Now as I studied this statement, I started thinking about that. You know, self-control. I think I need more self-control. Am I alone in that? We all could use some more self-control. And I definitely want to have more of God's influence in my life. Does anybody else? No, not even an amen? Maybe? You know, if we, when I study this, God is saying that if we want to have more self-control in our life, and we want to have His influence in our life, we first have to be together in unity. We have to pull together. If we are not working together in unity, He is not going to pour out His influence to the degree that He wants to and give us the ability through His Holy Spirit to have self-control in our lives if we don't first work together in brotherly love and unity. We are now to unify and by true medical missionary work prepare the way for the coming of our King. If our hearts are humble, if we have learned in the school of Christ to be meek and lowly, we may all press together in the narrow path marked out for us. And I thought about this. Wow! We have to first learn in Christ's school of meekness and lowliness before we're able to press together in unity on the narrow path towards heaven. So now we just add one more step in. First, we, we talked about we have to unify, but now even before unifying, we're told that we have to learn from Christ's school to have a meek and lowly heart. So it's a three-step process. We have to have the meek and lowly heart, then we work together in unity, and then finally we can all press together on that narrow path, preparing ourselves and others for the coming kingdom. Press together. You know, I think there's a statement that says, press together, Press together, press together. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, we're so blessed that in nature, God has given us so many examples of how we can take something that we see in, in His creation and apply that to a spiritual application. And it made me think of the emperor penguins. The emperor penguins live uh, exclusively in Antarctica. And here we have a group of male 
penguins, emperor penguins, and they're pressing together, and they're actually, what this is referred to as, it's called the huddle. And you notice that they're in, in a circular form, and they're all pressing in towards each other. They're facing each other in towards the center of the circle. And this is a very specific reason for this, because they're preparing for the winter storms that are about to come upon them. If they weren't prepared for the winter storm that was going to come upon them, they would die. Because when the winter hits in Antarctica, it's minus 80 degrees, and I don't care whether it's Fahrenheit or Celsius, it's cold. And that does not factor in wind chill. So when it's minus 80 degrees in Antarctica, these male emperor penguins have to take this position in order to live. If they didn't press together tight like this, they would die, all of them. Not one of them, but every single one of them would die. And as they do this formation, they each have to take their turn. And the one who's in the center has to go out to the outside circle. And so they rotate through. But it's not just a simple process of walking over here and then walking over here. They've got an unborn penguin egg sitting on top of their feet between their legs. And they have to walk without dropping that egg, without exposing it to the cold, and take their new position in the huddle for preservation of life. And the ones who are not physically strong enough, when they get to the outside of the circle, they die. And when they die, the unborn penguin dies as well. And so we, as God's people, need to be spiritually strong that when we're working together in unity, when, when it's our turn to be on the front line in the world that's, that Satan's attacking us, we have to be spiritually strong because if we're not spiritually strong, we're going to die spiritually and we're not going to be able to succumb the attacks of Satan. So, you know, I think it's a very good spiritual application as to how in nature God has shown these penguins work together for life. And of course, the beginning of that starts with the family. You know, we can talk about the church having unity and working together as a unit, but if our individual family units within the church are not unified, how could the church possibly be unified? You notice here that you have the male and the female mother and father penguin pointing toward each other, focusing in on the family. You know, in today's world, it's so easy to each one of the family, we could still be in a circle, but we're all looking out into the world. And what's the world got for me here? And what's the world got for me there? And then we wonder why our families fall apart. If our families, the parents and the children, we all focus together in towards each other as a unit, how much stronger will we be and how much better chance will we have of saving our children? And so this has to be the foundation before we can even talk about the church being unified. Oh, what a wonderful work might be accomplished if all would come together in unity. You know, we can all have the idea that we're going to finish the Lord's work and the Lord's going to come, but it is not going to happen until God's people unify. And the people that choose not to unify in God's work as a, together as a group are probably going to be the ones who are not going to be spiritually strong enough to endure the end when the real trials hit us. Unity with Christ establishes a bond of unity with one another. So now we learn, once again, before we can have the unity together, whether it's of the church or as a family, we first individually have to be unified with Christ. This unity is the most convincing proof to the world, the people that we meet, of the majesty and the virtue of Christ. You know, we think of how many different ways can we present to the world Christ and yet here we're told the most convincing proof above all other proofs is the fact that we are unified because when we're unified we project the majesty and virtue of Christ. Isn't that powerful? Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. And now come I to thee. So this is Christ praying to his Father. And these things that I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. John 17, verse 11 and 13. As I was looking through this, you know, here we see that Christ is praying to his Father that he wants to have his joy fulfilled in our hearts. What higher thing could he be praying to the Father than to have his joy fulfilled within us? I want to have Christ's joy fulfilled within myself, and I'm sure that's a prayer that each one of us has. But how do we do that? 
How do we have Christ's joy fulfilled in our hearts? Unity of God's people in entering the gospel medical missionary work will fulfill Christ's joy in us. If we do the work that God commissioned us to do by setting his example when he's here on this earth of doing the medical missionary work, if we do that same thing with all of our brethren around us, we also can have the joy of Christ living in our heart. That's how we get the joy, is doing the work that he commissioned us to do. But how do we do this? We still need to know how. We've talked about we needed to unify together as families. We need to unify ourselves with Christ. We need to unify ourselves together as a church, whether it be the Warburg Church, the Alberta Conference, the World Church. We all have to be unified. But once we've done that, how do we go about doing the work? You know, when I think of being a medical missionary, I think of, you know, somebody, you know, healing cancer, and I'm thinking, wow, that, that, that's, well, that's way beyond my knowledge, you know, being able to do things like that. But what can we, as individual church members, do that's simple to do? And I think this is about the most simple. I'm sure almost everybody here can read. But what are we supposed to read, and who are we supposed to read it to? Especially will the sick be comforted by hearing the word. For in giving the scripture, God has given to mankind a leaf from the tree of life. Have you ever thought of the scripture as being a leaf from the tree of life? That when you're reading this scripture to someone who is sick, it comforts them and has healing powers within it? Which is for the healing of the nations. How can anyone who reads scripture or who has heard it read to them lose his interest in heavenly things? and find pleasure in the amusements and enchantments of this world. You see how simple medical missionary work is? Somebody can be crippled, and they can still comfort someone who is worse off than they are, and read the word to them to help heal them. We can study health subjects and put that knowledge to practical use. We are so blessed as a people to be given this huge variety of volumes of, of health message. Everything from, from how we should dress to how we should, how we should eat, how we should sleep. You know, all these things have been given. All we have to do is read it. And as we read it, we can start to share it with others. Put it into practical use. Those who proclaim the message should teach health reform also. We'll reach the point that as the more we study health reform, we can start to teach it to others, whether it be other church members or dealing with the people in the world where they need to, you know, they've got a specific problem. They say, you know what, you know, have you ever tried doing this? This could help you with the situation that you're in. It is a subject that we must understand in order to be prepared for the events that are to soon close upon us, and it should have a prominent place. Now we're told here that if we don't have this health message in our hearts and in our minds, we are not going to be prepared for the events that are come upon us. What kind of events could they be? You know, we've all heard about, you know, these avian bird flus and these types of things. What happens when these type of events fall upon North America? And God's given us the health message not because he's trying to be a tyrant. He's given us this health message because he wants us to be healthy, that when these types of things come, we will be able to be resistant. When the rest of the world starts dying, like we had the bubonic plague, the black plague in the Middle Ages, and all these people were dying, God is basically telling us if we are following his health message, we are not going to be succumb as a people to these problems. He's doing it for our good. The Lord has presented before me that many, many will be rescued from physical, mental, and moral degeneracy through the influence of health reform. And this applies to the people within the church as well as the people in the world. He wants to save us through health reform. Here's another way we can easily do medical missionary work. We can circulate books. Circulate the books that give instruction in regard to healthful living. We have many of them, and not of, they don't always cost a lot of money. We can circulate these amongst the people that we come in contact with. The people are in sad need of light shining. This is referring most again to people in the world, but it also applies to Adventists. Shining from the pages of our health books and journals, God desires us to use these books and journals as mediums through which flashes of light shall arrest the attention of the people and cause them to heed the warning of the message of the third angel. Wow! It's our health message that causes us to see the light of the third angel's message? I think that's pretty powerful. Our health journals are instruments to be in the field to do a special work of disseminating the light that the inhabitants of the world must have in this day of God's preparation. We're in the preparation of what? Are we preparing for anything? 
for our Lord's coming? There should be more earnest efforts made to enlighten the people upon the great subject of health reform. Tracts of 4, 8, 12, 16 and more pages containing pointed, well-written articles on the great question should be scattered like the leaves of autumn. Now, here in central Alberta, it's hard to really appreciate what the leaves of autumn really are because when you go out to summers like eastern Canada or eastern United States when the fall time comes the leaves are so prevalent that when you walk along the ground you're walking in, in a carpet of, of leaves that can be six, eight, ten inches thick. The leaves cover the cars, they cover the houses, they cover the roads, they cover everything. The entire earth is covered in leaves. Can we appreciate having health tracts to that degree scattered amongst the people of the world? Like the helicopters flying over in, in Afghanistan dropping their leaflets and they drop these millions of leaflets so that no matter where you go these leaflets are dropped? That's how our health message is supposed to be presented to the world in these simple little tracts that everybody has exposure to them. Health talks will be given. It doesn't say health talks may be given, health talks will be given. We can choose whether or not we want to be learning health messages well enough to participate in talking about health to others. Publications will be multiplied, the principles of health reform will be received with favor. If the topic of health reform in the world is received with favor, we were told earlier that then they will be open to understanding and wanting to accept what we have to say about Bible doctrines. Thus, truth and righteousness will meet together. And I thought to myself, wow. Do we want truth and righteousness to meet together? Here we're told truth and righteousness is met together through the spreading of these health tracts. Does that mean that if we're not spreading these health tracts, that we're not going to have truth and righteousness meeting together? It's a scary thought. I'm sure we're all familiar with this book, The Ministry of Healing. It's one of our better known books on the health message. You can buy this book for as little as 55 cents US. Now, that's not a penny, but at 55 cents, I think we can afford to scatter a lot of Ministry of Healing books. It's pretty affordable. I have a friend who's a farmer. And sometimes in the winter, he goes out and he does some call porting. Now, I'm not suggesting here that you need to be a call porter, but he brought some interesting points to me that I wasn't aware of. He said that, you know, being a call porter, he obviously interacts with other people who are call porters. And he said that one of his friends who call porters full-time, this is his full-time job, he goes door-to-door -door and that's how he sustains himself in life, is by call portering. And he says when he goes door to door, when he knocks on the door, the first book he presents to the people is the Ministry of Healing. And he says, he says it's really quite simple. He says he hands them the book. He says, read the back cover. He hands it to them, flips it over, says, read the back cover. They read the back cover, and they're interested, and they want to buy it. And then when they want to buy it, he says, then the door is open for me coming back to see them again, or them at that same time saying, well, what else do you have? You know, you know, can I see what other books you have? And that's his door opener. And we're told all through the spirit of prophecy and through Christ's ministry that the door is open through the health message. How much easier does it get? You know, God gave us a plan that works. So often we want to skip part A, the health message, and go right to part B, evangelism, and then we wonder why in North America we meet resistance. You know, we have these big evangelism seminars, which are good, but, you know, if you spend millions of dollars and only get a couple people being converted, you know, praise the Lord for those people, but I think there's a better way. The Lord has shown us a better way. He says He's going to finish the work with simple means. That's what the Lord has told us. I'm going to talk a little bit about Brazil. I'm not sure how many of you are aware of it, but there's more Adventists in Brazil than any other country in the world. Now here we are in North America having had the privilege of having the message here for longer than anywhere else, and we have a, quite a large population here in North America, and yet we're not the ones with the most Seventh-day Adventists in it. Not even close. Far from it. One of my friends recently moved from Brazil to Canada. He spent 40 plus years of his life growing up and living in Brazil. So he is very familiar with what has been happening in Brazil in terms of the, to the Adventist growth. And I asked him, I said, well, 
How does that happen? What do you guys do? How do you guys have this huge growth and, and we're struggling almost to even replace ourselves? That when we die, there's, there's, there's another Adventist to replace me. He says, well, Dwayne, he says, we circulate health tracks. I said, you do what? He says, yes. He says, especially the youth. He says, on a regular basis, and I said, how regular is regular? He says, pretty well weekly, he said. The youth go out into the community and circulate health tracks. I said, really? I said, well, what happens then? He said, well, look at the growth. I said, well, is that it? He says, that's what they do. They circulate health tracks. He says, they get so known in the community for their health tracks and their health message that when Bobby goes up to Mr. Jones' door to knock on it, or if Mr. Jones is in his yard working, he knows Mr. Jones by name, and Mr. Jones knows Bobby by name. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm doing great, Mr. Jones. How's that health track? Would you like to have a new one? I've got some more information out today on cancer. Would you like to have that? Oh, sure, Bobby, sure, I'll take that. Like the leaves of autumn. You know, Ministry of Healing is 55 cents. Little tracks can cost pennies. We need to learn how to scatter those like the leaves of autumn. Let them take the living principles of health reform into the communities that to a large degree are ignorant of these health principles. So once again, we have inspiration pointing us towards what we've seen happening in Brazil that really works. Spreading like the leaves of autumn. I'm sure many of you have seen this book before. In fact, I saw Erica had it today. Natural Remedies Encyclopedia. Now, for you, those of you that haven't had a chance to have seen this book before, it is a powerful, powerful book. For 20, 25 years, I've been studying health, long before I was an Adventist. And I hate to say it, but I soon realized that all these health encyclopedias that I have, it's almost exclusive that there's no such thing as having a worldly health encyclopedia without having New Age propaganda in it. You know, the world through the New Age movement is doing a better job of circulating and promoting healthful principles than God's people have, and that's pretty sad. But this book, praise the Lord, is put together by an Adventist. It is not filled with New Age propaganda. It's the most complete book I've ever seen on healthful principles. This could be given away as gifts and presents. This book, if you buy it in volume, is very cheap. If you buy volumes, like large quantities of this book, you can be, I think it's like $8 or $7. I could afford to give away a lot of presents at $7 or $8. You see what I'm getting at? We think about being invited to a birthday party and being invited to a wedding. We say, well, what should we buy this person? What should we buy, what should we buy the new couple? Why not... Seven, eight, ten dollars. I mean, how much cheaper does it get to something that could change their life? This book could be given away to your local library. Maybe you go to a, some type of clinic for physiotherapy or something. Maybe you want to offer it to, to the clinic and say, would you put this in, in your sitting room when people are waiting? Would you be happy to let this be available for people to read? And you'd be surprised how many yeses you might get. There's over 11,000 remedies in this book. It covers over 730 diseases. It covers the eight laws of health, but it doesn't just cover the eight laws of health. It does it in 40 pages. 40 pages describing in detail the eight laws of health. Do you think you would have an understanding of what our eight laws of health are if you read those 40 pages? I think you'd have a pretty good understanding. You know, and the sad thing is, if we put this book in someone's hands that wasn't an Adventist and they read those 40 pages, they'd know more about our eight laws of health than most Adventists know. But praise the Lord, it's put together in a format that's easy to hand out. There's Bible quotes throughout this book. There's Spirit of Prophecy quotes throughout this book. There's color, color herb photos showing, you know, what the herb looks like in color so you can identify it in nature, so you can plant it yourself in your garden, so you can use the medicinal properties of it in your own life. There's health principles laid out all through this book. It teaches you how to quit smoking and drinking. There's basic physiology in this book. This is a powerful encyclopedia. We may not be able to scatter like the leaves of autumn, but it can be used as a wonderful tool for spreading the health message, for getting people to be aware of the gospel message to follow. Does anybody here enjoy cooking? So-so. Anybody enjoy eating? Okay, I knew the eating, I'd get more response. Okay. 
While sitting at the table, we may do medical missionary work by eating and drinking to the glory of God. How much easier does it get than that? Did you know that you're a medical missionary? Every time you sit down and eat food that's to the glory of God? Because now, every single time you have some family members come over who are Adventists, or some friends, or some neighbors, or someone who's not aware of the health message, and you present to them a, a bounty of food that's, that's grown and, and, and prepared in the way that God wants us to eat it, that's natural and healthy, that you are doing medical missionary work just by sitting down to eat. You know, I think back to, to our wedding. None of my family is Adventist. And we had this wedding, and you know, there's, there's a couple hundred people there, and afterwards, all of my relatives and friends are all coming and say, you know, if I could eat like that every day, I would be a vegetarian. The food was wonderful. And it was vegan. It was a witness. The one who prepares the food that is to be placed in our stomachs, to be converted into blood to nourish the system, occupies the most important and elevated position. The position of copyist, dressmaker, or music teacher cannot equal in importance to that of the cook. How often do we, as society, place the importance of the cook as one of the, the menial professions? And yet we're told that the position of the cook is the highest work. The one who understands the art of properly preparing food and who uses this knowledge is worthy of higher accommodation than those engaged in any other line of work. Any other line of work. That means higher than the pastor, higher than the doctor, higher than the missionary. The highest line of work we can engage in is the art of cooking healthful food. This art should be regarded as the most valuable of all the arts because it is so closely connected with life. It should receive more attention for in order to make good blood, the system requires good food. Doesn't that make sense? The health message begins with having a healthy body. The foundation that which keeps people in health is the medical missionary work of good cooking. See, you didn't even know it. A lot of you are medical missionaries, you didn't even know it. But we can be better medical missionaries and, and make better food and healthier food. God says we're supposed to be continually learning how to prepare healthier foods. There's more religion in good cooking than you have any idea of. It takes thought and care to make good bread. But there's more religion in a loaf of good bread than you may think. I don't know about you, but I, I love bread. Especially good bread. Not white wonder bread. I used to make balls of gum with it, you know, and throw it around stuff when I was a kid. Religion will lead mothers to make bread of the very best quality. Bread is the real staff of life, and therefore every cook should excel in making it. These next few quotes are, are geared specifically towards parents. Because it is a religious duty for those who cook to learn how to prepare healthful foods in different ways so that it may be eaten with enjoyment, mothers should teach their children how to cook. If we're not teaching our children how to cook, how is we as adults supposed to know how to cook? Very few people, you know, at the, at the age of 40 or 50 start learning how to cook. It can be done, but it's so much easier if you learn when you're young, when you create the desire. Mothers, instead of seeking to give your daughters musical education, instruct them in the useful branches which have the closest connection with life and health. Teach them all the mysteries of cooking. Show them that this is the part of their education and it's essential for them in order to become Christians. Wow! When I read that, I went, I had to read again. The children knowing how to cook is essential for them in order to become Christians. It doesn't say in order to become better Christians. You notice that? It doesn't say to become a better Christian. You don't become a better Christian by cooking. It says you become a Christian by learning how to cook. Should we put more emphasis on trying to maybe teach our children instead of waiting until they're... If you wait until they're 15, 20, it gets pretty hard. You know? I know when I was a teenager, I resisted almost everything my parents said. Anybody else go through that phase? You know? But if you can groom them when they're younger to get them excited and wanting to learn how much easier it's going to be when they're 15, they'll be cooking the meals for you. Because they want to. Because they enjoy it. Learn to cook. It is highly essential that the art of cooking may be considered one of the most important branches of education. Did you ever think of cooking as being a branch of education? I, I hadn't thought of it as being a branch of education. 
I appeal to men and women whom God has given intelligence. I'm assuming that God has given us all intelligence here that we learn to cook. I make no mistake when I say men. Remember, she's written this hundred and some years ago. It was very uncommon for men back then to cook. It's more common now, thankfully. We need to understand the simple, helpful preparation of food. I'm so thankful that Carol has been on my case for the last 12 years that I need to keep learning how to cook more. And slowly I'm coming around. I, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. I'll, I don't think I'll ever reach the level she's out of cooking, but you know, I'm starting to do a little bit more. I would pursue this course if I was 40 years old. This is Mrs. White speaking. She's saying if she was 40 years old, she would still pursue this course because it's her duty to know how to cook and it is your duty to teach your daughters how to cook. Age is irrelevant. If you haven't learned at age 40, it's not too late. If you haven't learned at age 80, it is not too late. God can give you the ability. The lack of knowledge regarding healthful cookery must be remedied before the health reform can be successful. You know, we can talk about health reform, we can talk about needing to do this, we can talk about this treatment and that treatment. The, the foundation is knowing how to prepare healthful food. If we don't, as a people, do this, we will not be successful in health reform as a people. You profess to be health reformers, and for this reason, we need to become good cooks. There is religion in good cooking, and I question the religion of the class who are too ignorant and too careless to learn to cook. I don't know about you, but I don't want somebody questioning my religion. And here she's saying it's, it's a question if we don't learn to cook healthfully. We need to teach cooking. More cooking schools should be established and some should labor from house to house giving instruction in the art of cooking wholesome foods. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, but other than amongst some family and friends, I can't imagine, I've never seen it done, I'm sure it has been done, but I've never seen it done where, where God's people are going house to house in the world and teaching people how to cook. Now I'm not sure the exact format how that takes place, but to me that's a powerful statement. Amen. Can you imagine someone came knocking on your door for instance and say, you know, Mrs. Jones, would you like to have a free cooking class? I'm willing to come into your house and teach you how to cook. I don't know, that's just what I'm thinking. Is that, is that how it works? You know, does Mrs. Jones say, come on in and show me how you make your healthy bread? I don't know. But we have to figure out different ways of how we're going to teach people how to cook. Wherever the truth is proclaimed, instruction should be given in the preparation of healthful foods. Is truth proclaimed from the Warburg Adventist Church? I, I hope so. So if the, truth is, if the church is proclaiming truth here in this building, that means we need to also give instruction of how to prepare, prepare healthful food. Health foods should be prepared by our churches who are trying to practice the principles of health reform. Thus they, this is referring to the people in the world, will be able, or sorry, referring to us, that we'll be able to teach the poor how to provide themselves with foods that will take the place of flesh meat. You know, we know how detrimental it is to our spiritual well-being and our physical well-being to not follow the health principles that God has given us. How can we expect the world to know how to cook if we're not teaching them alternative dishes that they're enjoying, that they like to eat, to replace what we're trying to say they might want to try to be using less of. Such a work will yet be done with consecrated zeal and energy. If it had been done before, this is even her day, if it had done, been done before, there today would be more people in the truth. And many more would be able to give instruction. Let us learn what it is our duty and then do it. We are not to be dependent and helpless, waiting for others to do what God has committed us to do. We just can't say, you know, that, that's, that's for Mrs. Jones to do, you know. That's, that's not my calling. We all need to pull together and work at this. He desires them to see what they can do in the preparation of such food. Who is he? The Lord? Not only for our families, which is our first responsibility, but for the help of the poor. You know, it's unfortunate, but in every society it seems to be the poor who have the least knowledge of knowing how to prepare food that's healthy for them, and, and as a result they tend to be the sickest people in society. Amen. It doesn't need to be that way. Amen. Famine, want, and distress. You know, I, I don't think right now, in, at least here in central Alberta, we're experiencing famine. 
But I think we're coming into a time where we're going to be experiencing fairly quickly want and distress. How many people here in Alberta that are related in some way to the oil field for their work are losing their jobs and are now feeling want and distress in their lives? I, I see it almost on a daily basis. It's affecting even our people. As famine and want and distress shall increase more and more in the world, the production of healthful foods will be greatly simplified. We need to think about how we can prepare simple, healthy foods that are easy and cheap for the poor. Because when they run out of money and they lose their jobs, and the only thing they know how to do is go to, to Safeway and buy that prepared meal that costs 10 times more than a simple dish, these people need help in a big way. Wherever fruit can be grown in abundance. Can fruit be grown in abundance here? You know, it's not the Okanagan, but I think this is berry country, isn't it? By canning or drying small fruits such as currants, gooseberries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries can be grown to advantage in many places where they are but little used and their cultivation is neglected. Neglected. In other words, we're being told that we could be growing more of these fruits, these berries, but we're neglecting their cultivation. You know, I, every time I go to BC, it's, it's so amazing to me because I, I see all these blackberry bushes lining the highways, lining the side streets. They're everywhere it's out in the countryside and it's just grown to a mat. You know, Their production is, is probably a tenth of what it could be and yet you can still go out there and, and just pick till your heart's content. Pick, 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 pick. The time is going to come when if God's people were manicuring and looking after these crops you know, how many more people could be fed when we do have famine? Simplicity is a part of health reform. Simplicity. Does anybody here try to practice simplicity in their home? Did you know that that's health reform? That's doing medical missionary work? We're supposed to give instruction in household economy and that's a part of medical missionary work. And people say, well, household economy? How is that biblical? Well, what about when Jesus fed the 5,000? After everybody's stomachs were full to capacity, he sent out the people to pick up the fragments, and they filled 12 baskets of food. For what purpose? To be eaten, I'm assuming, to be saved for a later time when nourishment needed to be taken into the body again. God taught us household economy. In today's world now, when, when things are, seem to be going haywire, are there families that could benefit from instruction and classes being given in household economy? Could we put together a, a small tract or, or invite the community out to a, a, a seminar we're going to hold for an hour or two on things they can do when things are going bad to economize, you might say? To get by on less? To learn new principles? to be able to support their family when they don't know what to do. Sewing, it seems like that's a lost art. Hygienic dressmaking, who even knows what that is today? Treatment of the sick, we're supposed to teach instruction on how to treat the sick. So, why aren't we doing it? You know why we're not doing it? Because we haven't been studying stuff like this. You know, having this book in your home, it's so easy, you can open it up and you can look up Arthritis, and they'll go, do this, 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 and your arthritis will go away. Wow, how hard was that? You know, I didn't have to search the internet for, for hours. I didn't have to go to the library and read 50 books. It's all right here. If you don't have this book in your home, you're losing out. Agriculture. Do you know that we're supposed to be teaching agriculture? And I think to myself, you know, this is not just talking about how to grow wheat. How many people in society don't even know how to plant a potato? They may be living out here in Warburg and they may be country folks as, a, as opposed to you know, the city folks of Edmonton, but how many people don't even have a vegetable garden because they don't have the foggiest how to begin? And they're almost, you know, maybe they're too embarrassed to ask. But maybe we could give some instruction on agriculture. Maybe we could 
let people know that you know at these five or six or ten different locations this year, you know, go to these certain addresses, and you'll be we'll be glad to teach you how we plant our gardens, so you can learn, you can watch us, you can participate with us. I mean, I'm just throwing out ideas. What different ways can we teach agriculture to the people that are going to be needing it to sustain their families? Families and institutions should learn to do more in the cultivation and improvement of land. If people only knew the value of the products of the ground, which the earth brings forth in her season, more diligent efforts would be made to cultivate the soil. All should become acquainted with the special value of the fruits and vegetables from the orchard and the garden. Of corn and peas we have raised enough for ourselves and our neighbors. This is a quote directly from Mrs. White. It was obviously her practice to always grow enough of the staples of food that they survived on in those days to supply the wants of her family and her neighbors complete. Are we doing that today? Is that medical missionary work? Are we getting into the community and letting the community know who we are when we do things like this? I have a few ideas here for spreading the health message. And I'll have to say that when the Lord started presenting these ideas to me, that, that I was nervous. Because it's one thing to get up here and speak, and speak directly from Bible quotes, or speak from the spirit of prophecy, because you know that is not something that, that I did. It's something that I'm just bringing forth from my studies and presenting you know, to people. But the Lord has been heavy on my heart with, with a subject here of spreading the health message that I've never heard before. I'm sure it has been done before. But I'm hoping that, that we'll all be open to thinking about some of, these, some of these ideas as I present them. In the earlier quote, we talked about cultivation and improvement of the land. That this is something that we need to be doing more of. And I thought to myself, you know, how fortunate so many of us are that live outside the city where we have a piece of land big enough that we can cultivate and improve the land. If you live in Edmonton, a lot that's 30 feet by 60 feet, how much land can you cultivate and improve upon? Not too much. And I started thinking, you know, how many of us here in this church have the ability to say, you know, here is a piece of land on my acreage or my farm that is arable. It, it could produce a crop. It could grow some vegetables, but I don't cultivate it and work this part of the land. But I know it's good soil under there, but I don't do anything with it. How many of us could be willing to commit a piece of land that we have on our property that's not being used to say, you know what, I'm willing to dig up that brush, I'm willing to dig up that grass, and I'm going to make that land cultivatable, and it's going to grow a crop. Or, as an idea, maybe even out here on the church property, there's, there's areas where, you know, not needed for parking, where you could plant some fruit trees, some apple trees, some, some berry bushes. You know, I, I think of, you know, once in a while you go walking down the street or you, or you drive down the street and you see a home that has a beautiful, gorgeous garden. And you stop and you go, wow, you know, isn't that lovely? Look at the time someone has put into putting this garden together for the enjoyment of anybody who wants to pass their eyes over that way and look at it. Is that something that, that some churches might be able to do on their own church property? Where you could drive by in the spring and see the apple trees in bloom or see the berry bushes in blossom and that could be part of something that's going to maybe contribute to providing food for your neighbors, for people who are need the poor. If you have these tracts of land that you think are available, plan what you can grow on it. And when you plan what you can grow on it, you have to plan what health food you're going to make it into. Don't just haphazardly plant whatever. Say, as a church, what can we as a group of God's people work together on in unity where we all would plant the same thing in abundance, in extra, above and beyond what our family needs are, so that we can take these crops from your acreage, from your farm, maybe some from wherever, you know, you got some fruit trees here on the side by the fence, whatever that project is, and have enough abundance that you can now use that 
to make large quantities of some type of health food. And I recommend that health food be something that can be preserved as opposed to fresh because fresh, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll go to the grocery store, they'll buy the fresh produce and it rots in their crisper. I hate to say it, but it, it even happens in our house. You know, you try to eat all the fresh stuff when it's fresh, but sometimes you don't eat it fast enough and it goes bad. What can you make that you can hand out to the community that can be preserved in some way, whether it be a, a jam or a jelly or maybe a... Uh, uh, pickled carrots, or maybe some pickled beets, or some beet relish, or some sauerkraut, something that can be preserved that's going to last longer than three or four days. That the church can grow in abundance together as a group that you can hand out and give away door to door in the community. What would happen in Warburg, let's just, I don't know how many people live here, let's say there's 500 homes in the, in the surrounding area. If in the fall time, the Warburg Church went knocking door to door and they handed out 500 jars of pickled beets made with lemon juice, not vinegar. Would that have an impact on the community? With the community, you might even get written up in the paper. I'm assuming you have a paper. I don't know if you do or not. But can you imagine the impact it would have? Or if you went to the house and said, you know, Mr. Jones, you know, we have here, you know, we've been growing food for, for handing out this fall. Would you rather have a jar of sauerkraut or would you rather have a jar of pickled beets? Sure, I love sauerkraut. Sure, thank you very much. So give them the jar of sauerkraut. But don't let it end there. It has to be a ministry. So what can we do? What if we had a fall harvest fest? These are just ideas. But what happens if every fall, the Warburg Church was known in the community for putting on a harvest fest? And you had health books that you gave away or sold for cheap. And you had cooking classes. And maybe you had recipe books that you gave away or sold for cheap. Maybe you had food preservation classes, teaching people how to store food for the winter. You know, we just read from a quote earlier that we're supposed to put away enough of these berries in abundance to last us the whole winter. You don't do that just by sitting them on the shelf. They'll, go, they'll rot. People have to be taught how to preserve food. We could teach simple health remedies uh, at this fall fair. These are just ideas that, that the Lord had been giving me. Now I talked about what you give away, and I, I came up with, with an example here. Let's, for instance, say that the church decided that we're going to grow beets in abundance. And so everybody has this extra plot of land they've worked up and tilled, and the people that don't have extra land are going over to the people that do have extra land to help them work it. Don't expect all the work to be done just by the people that have the land. Be willing to participate and help each other out. And you decide you're going to give away beet relish in the fall. And so you put a label on the on the beet relish. And it says Warburg Seventh-day Adventist Church and it has a phone number. A phone number that when they phone that number, the chances of someone answering the phone are going to be high. And that person can either help them with maybe preparing their own beet relish or that person can tell them you know, where they can get some more of this beet relish. If you decide you make enough of it that you're going to be selling some, maybe at that fall harvest fest you're going to have, possibly. You could be telling about the benefits of the beet relish. You could say beets are high in fiber and antioxidant compounds such as carotenoids and beta-cyanins. People say, what's that? Well, it doesn't matter, but you have to know that it's a powerful cancer protective agent found to inhibit cell mutation. That means it stops cancer from growing, plain and simple. It's high in folic acid, manganese, potassium, iron. It contains silica, which helps the body to utilize calcium. So in other words, your calcium can't be utilized without silica which is important in reducing the risk of osteoporosis. Does anybody have osteoporosis today? What if they knew that they could reduce their risk or start reversing the osteoporosis that they have by eating this beet relish? Beets improve liver function and assist in removing toxins. Do we have toxins in our body today? Do you realize that just last year, many major publications like the Wall Street Journal and these types of papers through doctors came to recognize that beets are now recognized as one of the superfoods that have ever been grown on the earth and we've never looked at them as being a superfood because it's considered to be peasant food. That's what they said. And yet it's one of God's richest blessings. It's famous for its blood building abilities. And then at the bottom of course you know list the ingredients so they can see that there's no junk in here. It's all healthy things. And then maybe on the back and again these are just ideas. Put a Bible text up. You know? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Wow. Get them thinking about the Lord when they're eating the food. Here's a recipe, you know, whether you want to make a three-jar recipe or a 12-jar recipe and, and the simple way of preparing it. Maybe it's something simple like bread. What would happen if the Warburg Church made 300 loaves of bread? 
And we put the label on there, and it had some text from the Bible about bread. Do you think there's any text in the Bible about bread? Maybe just a few? Okay, get their, lines, their minds being enlightened to the power of the Word and its association with food. And maybe put the simple recipe on it. You know, Carol makes a recipe of bread that's called no-need bread. How many people don't have a bread maker? Can't afford it. How many people are too ill or too weak or have too severe a health problem that they couldn't need bread if they wanted to? They got arthritis, they got back pain, they couldn't need bread if they wanted to. Carol has a no-need recipe. You mix it up in a bowl, you let it sit for 24 hours, you put it in the oven, you bake it, there's no need. There's no rising, there's no night. It doesn't get any easier. And it's healthy, and it tastes great. What would happen if the Warburg community started to realize that the people here in this church are here for the purpose of helping them with their health problems? Would they start to love the people of the Warburg Church? Would you start to be known as being the Good Samaritan? Let's do a quick review. Unity. We talked about unity. Without unity, none of this can happen. Unity with the Lord, unity with our families, unity with the church. God says that He will give us self-control and His influence after we unify. We have to remember that, that key relationship. We unify first, and then He gives us self-control and His influence, which we all need. We need to press together. Think about the penguins. We need to work closely together. We can't just be greeting each other on Sabbath morning and maybe during the week on, midweek on prayer meeting and otherwise we never see each other. If we're not working together for the Lord's cause, we're not pressing together. We're not, uni- we're not in unity. We need to prepare us for the coming of the Lord and that happens through unity. Cooking. We talked a lot about cooking. We need to learn how to cook. We need to teach how to cook. And the easiest of all is we need to share what we cook. So when we make that loaf of bread, we've got to share it with our neighbors. When we make that beet relish, we need to share it with the community. We need to share our food. When we have an extra 50-pound bag of potatoes that we don't need, we need to share it and find out who in the community is in need so we can share this food. We talked about health. We need to study health. We've got lots of health journals to study. We need to share the books. Give things like this away as gifts. Give away health tracts. We need to teach the principles of health and the simple remedies that God has shown us in His Word and in the spirit of prophecy. And last but not least is community. If we are not known in the community for the health reform that we're bringing, we're not doing our duty. We can do it through sowing, treating the sick, teaching the sick how to treat themselves, holding classes in household economy. But the bottom line is, is that community needs to know us for our health. It needs to come to the point where when someone is sick, they should be able to pick up the phone and they say, you know what, I know I'm going to phone this person here who is at my door from the Warburg Church because I know that they are more than willing to give up and devote their time to help me with my health problem. We need to get to that point. When we do, we're going to be that much closer to the Lord coming home to take us to where we should be. And it's not here on this earth. Thank you.